The reading this evening is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. If you'd like to follow it in the Church Bible, it's on page 1,234. Revelation 2, 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mandy. So um, I wanted to put up those slides just as we started uh, because I now want to ask a question. I wonder what was going through your mind when you heard those few short verses. I wonder if the whole issue of persecution and staying faithful unto death leaves us feeling just a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, perhaps even struggling with the relevance of it as we sit here this evening. Let me just pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for the saints of old. We thank you for those saints today um, in many different parts of the world. And we ask, Father God, that <clears throat> as we share your word together, as we try to understand it, we would, in a sense, honor their sacrifice by really asking you how this is relevant to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've lived all my life in the UK and in Europe. I've lived and worked in fairly civilized situations amongst, by and large, fairly civilized people. Perhaps you have too. I've not endured violent, oppressive persecution. But does this make the letter to the church at Smyrna any less relevant or current for me, for us, here at St. John's in 2022? Does the fact that probably none of us living here in London are likely to die for preaching the gospel or lose our jobs for being a Christian or have our homes torched for following Jesus... Does that make the words 
to the church in Smyrna any less relevant for me today, this evening? <clears throat> I've personally wrestled with these questions at different times and over many years, but perhaps I'm not alone. Have, has anybody else wrestled with that sometimes? So the church in Smyrna was having a really hard time established, as it was with the other uh, six churches that formed part of this group of seven churches during Paul's second missionary journey. And <clears throat> the church family was now really struggling. And this letter, as some would say, is the shortest and warmest, a mere four verses, as we heard beautifully read, six sentences, if you want to be pedantic about it, um, and in this letter, there's no criticism, there's no correction, only comfort and encouragement. And it speaks to us today, not just as a call to prayer for those Christians living in far-flung places, but as a personal word to each of us as we go about our daily lives. But first, <clears throat> I'd like to give us a bit of context about Smyrna and what was actually going on there, particularly if you miss Chris's introduction to this series a couple of weeks ago. This is the second in the series. So the letters were written by um, the Apostle John, distributed in around AD 96. There's a bit of uh, contention there. <clears throat> And these seven letters coming at the beginning of the book of Revelations, they're the words of Jesus. <clears throat> they're not the words of John. And whilst each letter was written and distributed to real churches in real time, they were written to prepare the whole church here on earth for Jesus' final victory over death and evil and his second coming. Be prepared. Be ready. And for that reason alone, they must be relevant to each of us today. <clears throat> Ancient Smyrna is located in modern-day Izmir, Turkey, known as the Jewel of Asia. And it's still apparently a beautiful city by the sea. I have a neighbor whose son lives there, and she came back just last week from five days there. And she says, oh, Victoria, it's great. And there are still bits of the old temples and things there. Um, Rome was hugely powerful in the whole region at that time and was enmeshed in the cult of emperor worship. And the city had been chosen for the first temple to Caesar. So why was the church under persecution? Well, firstly, the church family. They were largely Gentiles with some Jewish converts and they refused to worship at the temple of Caesar. Secondly, the Jews and the Romans had kind of established an uneasy unity such that all religions except Judaism and emperor worship were now banned. So the brothers and sisters in Smyrna were really caught between both the civil and religious powers of the Roman authorities and the non-believing Jews. They struggled to find work. They were robbed of city privileges. And then comes this letter. A letter that acknowledges the reality of their suffering whilst <coughs> pointing to a better reality in the future. And as we go through these four verses, um, 
And as I prayed earlier, let's just be asking that the Holy Spirit open our hearts to Jesus' words. So let's look at verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. This is Jesus' own description of himself. He's not distant, out of touch with what's happening. This is Jesus who knows the end from the beginning. It was interesting, that was a word actually that I felt God gave me at the very beginning of the pandemic. He said, I know the end from the beginning. Be encouraged. <clears throat> He's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I find images helpful. And this may not be helpful for you, but it's as if it's as if Jesus is the bookends of all creation. And that, you know, everything that you and I did, everything we will do, everything we are, are held in the book of life, in this bookcase. And, and Jesus is holding it all and nothing escapes him. And when we come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's right there with us. <clears throat> and perhaps... These brothers and sisters were reminded of Jesus' words as they went about making the work, the work of making disciples and baptizing new believers and teachings. Perhaps they were reassured when they remembered, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They were not alone. And then look what comes next. The one who died and came to life again. What a wonderful reminder for a church facing persecution and possible death. They're in the hands of the one who conquered death. He suffered as a human being, as a human being, just like them, the agony of death. And then he came to life again. And not just for himself, but so that we... And they could be confident that whatever sorrows and joys we have here on earth, nothing compares to the hope we have in Jesus. As in 1 Peter, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again into a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And where is it? It's kept in heaven for us. Earth is just part one, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> and this letter holds three really important little phrases or words. I know your afflictions and your poverty. The brethren in Smyrna are now among the poorest citizens, systematically marginalized. Where is Jesus, our Savior, now? These men and women needed to know that they were not abandoned, that Jesus, who understood their poverty, who had sought out the lost and the hungry and the dispossessed during his time on earth, he knows their situation. I know, says Jesus. This is not the, oh, there, there, I'm sorry for your troubles, dear. I'm really sorry. This is, this is tough, isn't it? This is Jesus who says, I carried your afflictions and your pain to the cross. 
Some of you may remember the evangelist John Wimber. Does anybody remember John Wimber? Yeah. So he had a little phrase I always used to quite like, and he used to talk about knowing in your Noah. Does anybody remember knowing in your Noah? But this is what Jesus is saying, I want you to know. In your Noah, in that deep, deep place of your soul, I know your pain. Isn't that marvelous? And then he adds, yet you are rich. Wow, that's quite a statement. Poor, struggling, hardly able to make ends meet. And then Jesus tells them they're rich. Some of us, even here this evening or perhaps listening later in the week, may already feel very friend poor, status poor, pal poor, influence poor. And it eats us up inside. And Jesus says to all those circumstances, to those of us who know him as Lord and Savior, but you are rich. About three years ago, in fact, we ended working together just before the pandemic, I worked with a really wonderful man, uh, a nurse, who headed up the nursing provision for street dwellers and homelessness in uh, one of the big central London boroughs. And he and his team set up clinics and spent hours walking around the streets and caring for those on the streets, comforting, providing practical help. It was an absolutely brilliant team. It was, it was hard work. It was tough. We often spoke about the pros and cons of his client's lifestyle. And for some, a few, there were advantages, but they were few and far between. You see, without the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to us, who of us bowed down by poverty and discrimination could find those words, but you are rich, anything but offensive in that place? Yet you are rich, Jesus says. This is the long-term protected inheritance we read of in 1 Peter. And in that same passage, it goes on to say, it's kept in heaven for us by God's power. That's what we can rejoice in. Even if for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, it is so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are rich in things money cannot buy. God's love and a peace that passes understanding, a life filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And on we go, verse 9. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Wow, that's quite strong language. Jesus knows again. He sees how their own Jewish people, their their ancestors, are now standing with the Roman authorities and against them. And Jesus' judgment on them is harsh. 
I know this is hard, says Jesus, but remember this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. I think some of us will have experienced certainly some of those things. And then Jesus goes on, verse 10, I know, and I'm telling you, do not fear. Wow. And he doesn't say, don't worry, I am going to ride in and sort it. I'll take all your suffering away. Just don't worry about it. Just sit back. I'm on it. I'm here. It's all going to go. No, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Well, that's a reality check, if ever there was one. This is going to hurt. Have you ever read that book, seen the program? It's about the, <laughs> the young doctor in a hospital. He's written his memoirs. This is going to hurt. Well, this is going to hurt. Indeed, Jesus himself had said, in this world you will have trouble, but look beyond. See, I have overcome the world. And I'm giving you a heads up here, brothers and sisters, not to scare you, but to help you prepare, to give you courage. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. The message was as clear then as it is now, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness. The devil will put some of you in prison and against the spiritual forces of evil in this realm. We are in a spiritual battle. That was the battle of the church in Smyrna, and I truly believe it is our battle too. We are living in a spiritual background and and what what how do we deal with that well what did Jesus tell the church how could they deal with it and what does he say he says be faithful even unto death be faithful and as I have pondered this passage for me this is this is almost the climax the key message Will we be faithful to the gospel, come what may? That really is the question, isn't it? That's what this is about. Will we be faithful to what we believe? Even when faced with opposition, ridicule, slander, even unto death, will we fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope he sets before us? Let's just take a few minutes to see how that might apply to us. So how were the Christians in Smyrna being faithful? I mean, you know, what dramatic things were they doing? They publicly declared their faith in Jesus. They didn't keep their faith as my private beliefs or what I do on Sunday. Essentially, they resisted peer pressure doesn't sound terribly extreme, does it? They simply made it very clear where they stood. And isn't that what we do? 
But the reality is it takes courage to stand firm in the face of insult. It takes courage to say we believe in Jesus when others around us are ridiculing us. It takes courage to endure those slightly awkward silences when we talk about our faith, when we call out dodgy practice, bad-mouthing gossip. Bottom line, he says, stay faithful. So what does that look like? How do we train ourselves to be faithful? <clears throat> I was a, a brownie and then a girl guide uh, when I was younger. And I have to say that that kind of iconic motto, be prepared, completely went over my head, totally passed me by, never really got it. Um, <laughs> but as an adult seeking to follow Jesus, the idea of being prepared for whatever God has in store takes on much more meaning as a daily discipline. Are we prepared to practice being faithful in praying with friends and family, in asking the Holy Spirit to give us the words to speak and then to speak them? in defending Christian principles at work, addressing a colleague's anxiety about promotion with an invitation to talk about the confidence we have in Jesus, the security we have in him forever. Are we prepared to practice being faithful when our group of new school friends or uni study group clearly think religion is completely irrelevant and you, know, you really are a bit naive? I mean, let's face it. We're not being asked to bow down to our Prime Minister as Lord. Well, that's something to be very grateful for. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? It is unlikely that any of us living here will be killed for our belief in Jesus. But we really don't know what lies ahead for any of us. Would our Christian position ever be conquered, uh, con considered a threat? to human rights, for example, currently unlikely, but who knows in the future? There will be times in all of our lives when fear overwhelms, makes us silent. We want to be faithful in speaking out, but the fear of saying the wrong thing is huge. I remember one time with a group of colleagues, there was... Um, a lot of knife crime going on, and people were frankly ridiculing the fact that Christian parents were saying, well, I forgive them, I forgive them. And I was on the edge of the group, and I just, I just didn't know what to say. And I was silent. And then afterwards, I was so... I was so ashamed and so upset by it that I then went and sought a one-to-one with the person concerned, and I really was able to speak. But, yeah, it was hard, and, and that sense of, oh, my word, I really blew it. But the Lord gave me a second chance. I, you know what? He is a God of second chances. He is so good to us, and he loves us so much. You know, it's so often sometimes when you're talking to somebody to just feel ignorant because what I'd really like is the perfect Bible verse. You know, I've been in all of those places. 
but Jesus knows exactly how we feel. Do you remember his own disciples, those giants of faith, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter, all of them, they had the same fears. And what did Jesus say to them? These are words that have become really helpful to me over the years. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man acknowledges before the angels of God. And when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you're going to defend yourselves or what you will say. Why don't we worry? Why do we not fear? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. Not not somehow or other go and research and prepare for hours on end for one two-minute conversation, but in the moment of that conversation, the Holy Spirit will show you what to say. I mean, isn't that marvelous? So when we stand before friends and family who accuse us of being too radical and when we long to comfort someone in distress and we feel so helpless, I do believe God will empower us with the words to say because he wants us to be faithful. That's what God wants. That's what he's called us to be. Sometimes we just need to take a leap of faith open our mouths. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have all the resources of the one who is the beginning and the end and who created all things. And we're not alone. And I don't mean Jesus here. I mean one another. Look, 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 look around. The church in Smyrna was a family. They supported one another, prayed for one another, encouraged one another. This is the gift of the church family. We have others around us to keep us faithful. I mean, brothers and sisters, isn't that great? Yes, we have others around us to keep us faithful. And when we're faithful and courageous, a wonderful promise. This is the next bit of that reading. Be faithful unto the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. This is a promise of eternal life, the victor's crown. In 2 Timothy, it's called the crown of righteousness for those who have stood firm, endured hardship, and been faithful. Here is the question. Is that enough of a reward? And that's a question that each of us has to answer in order to have the courage and the will to be faithful. In the cold light of day, the joy and the wonder that comes to us when we accept Jesus and see his death and resurrection as a gift of salvation is a spiritual reality. This will not bring us joy just by trying to be happy. This is a spiritual gift with huge blessings and consequences for how we live our life here on earth. Now, you know, if any of us is new to these ideas, or even as a Christian, eternity seems far less exciting or relevant than life here on earth, let us pray for you. I know that feeling. I've 
had it. And good brothers and sisters have prayed for Jesus through his Holy Spirit to reignite the joy of eternity for me here on earth. I don't think we should be ashamed of sometimes feeling as if, you know, we're not entirely on fire, you know, burning with all spiritual cylinders all the time. We just need to want to be faithful. So, as, as we come to an end, and I just have a couple more brief comments, there's an urgency here, not just about our own faithfulness, but an urgency about the consequences of our faithfulness. When we faithfully share the gospel message, we're not simply feathering our own eternal lest. We are rescuing others from eternal death. We can never know what we're capable of until we're tested, can we? And I suspect we shall not be given the courage to face huge trials until those trials come. I've often thought, would I, would I have the courage to die for Jesus? Do you know I can honestly stand here and say I hope so, but I haven't a clue. But what I do believe is that if I had to, I actually, I actually think Jesus would give me the courage because that's the thing, isn't it? He doesn't give us what we need before we need it. What we can all do is develop spiritual muscle power. Build up our courage. Do it together. Encourage one another to be faithful. Pray for one another to be faithful. Let me end with a verse from 2 Corinthians and then, um, and then I'd like to pray. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. <clears throat> Father, would you... Would you do this for us? Would you, would you call us to know deep in that place of our knowing, in our knower, just how much Jesus loves us, how much he's there for us? Father God, when, when we fear, when things overwhelm us, when we want to speak out, when we want to build up your people and we are just don't know what to do, would you just come alongside us so we hear your whisper, do not fear, just be faithful, I am with you. Holy Spirit, I pray even now for each one of us um, that when we come to speak of you, declare your gospel message to those around us, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give us exactly the words to say? 
And we ask all this, not so that we can look good, but because we want to build up your kingdom and we want to bring people to know Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.